Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast. And it may just be a frenetic Peter King Podcast with my friend Paul Burmeister uh, from NBC Sports. And later on in the podcast, we'll be joined by the man who I wrote on Monday is the odds-on favorite to be the top pick in the 2022 NFL Draft, Michigan edge rusher Aiden Hutchinson. Uh, Spent some time with him via Zoom late Saturday night from his hotel in Indianapolis. So we'll get to that, about a 20-minute chat with Aiden Hutchinson. But obviously, so much has gone on as we record this on Tuesday night uh, after an action-packed day. First, Aaron Rodgers saying he is going to stay in Green Bay. And then uh, Russell Wilson uh, being traded from Seattle to Denver uh, we'll talk about each one, but I, I, I really thought that Paul, what, one of the things that might be really interesting on this day is that we sort of, you know, uh, exchange our roles, you know, usually I'm the one sort of the leader of the pack, you know, asking you and then commenting on it. But I thought, because I've done some reporting on this and I've got some reporting also on the combine that maybe it would be best if you sort of commandeered the first half hour of the podcast and we work that way. Hope that's okay with you. I think that works really well, Peter. You, you were the one uh, that, that spends the week at the combine and had the insight there. And I'm looking forward to hearing your insight on these two moves. that uh, just all of a sudden this afternoon kind of took over are uh, the running headline here for the for the offseason of the NFL. So I think it's a perfect day to do that. I'll get started. Let's back up a little bit here, Peter, and kind of give a little backstory uh, of how the the quarterback exclamation points and headlines that came out today, you know, may have started groundwork laid, not at the combine, but at the senior bowl back in January. Look, when when uh, when the Denver Broncos turned over the leadership of their football team to general manager George Payton one year ago. He basically decided in the draft, he loved Patrick Sertan and he knows that there were some quarterbacks there in the draft, but his whole thing is, I love Sertan, we're gonna take him. And then I wanna give these the quarterbacks who we have, who, you know, who we're gonna be playing a fair chance. And so as it turns out, he got a long look at Teddy Bridgewater, wasn't great. He got a shorter look at Drew Locke. Uh, Locke wasn't great either. And so he became determined, especially after 
uh, the Broncos finished seven and 10 in a very tough division that as Vic Fangio said on his way out the door, you know, in essence, it's going to be tough to win without a quarterback against, you know, for the foreseeable future against Derek Carr, the Raiders, Patrick Mahomes of the chiefs, and obviously also the young kid, Justin Herbert of the Los Angeles chargers. So I'd say from right at the end of the season, it has been exact tomorrow on Wednesday when this podcast drops or, or later tonight was the last game of another forgettable season in Denver, their sixth consecutive season post Manning where, <coughs> where, <coughs> excuse me, they just didn't play well. And the biggest reason they didn't play well is because they don't have a quarterback. So George Payton became absolutely determined that somehow, some way he was going to get a quarterback. I believe, and we'll find this out. Uh, I don't think the Broncos are going to have anything to say about this publicly and not much privately either until the trade is official, because you really can't talk about that. NFL frowns upon doing that until the start of the league season next week. So I would expect that a lot of this is going to be cloak and dagger in the next few days. But here's what I've learned, Paul, that uh, at the senior bowl in Mobile, uh, John Schneider, the GM of the Seahawks, and George Payton, the GM of the Broncos, spent a lot of time together. It's my belief that they did a lot of talking about if, you know, when Schneider was, was I, I believe that Schneider never said, we're definitely going to do this, but he, I think he listened. He understands that Russell Wilson is not entirely happy in Seattle. You can't tell by listening to him. He's a very pro Seahawks guy, but in my opinion, I think Russell Wilson had, you know, thought that the Seahawks were a team on the decline. And I think he wanted out before he signed another contract. So the Seahawks knew this. I think some people in the Seattle organization had had enough of this melodrama over the last year plus, will Russell Wilson stay or will he go? So that's the basis of all this. Conversations got hot and heavy uh, at the Senior Bowl, continued in the month of February, and then obviously uh, at the Scouting Combine. So the question you might ask is, well, you know, if they had all those conversations, why didn't they get something done before today? Why did Rodgers and, uh, and Russell Wilson happen within an hour and a half of each other? And the reason is very simple. The Broncos really have a very high regard for Aaron Rodgers. My belief is that if it were in a pecking order, I think if they were sure that Aaron Rodgers was going to play, let's say, at least three years, they uh, would have preferred Aaron Rodgers. Now, we'll see in the coming days what they say, but I know that they really were partial to Aaron Rodgers above all other options. And they wanted to wait until the absolute end when they saw whether Rodgers was going to, uh, you know, actually say, yeah, I want to be traded. And if that became the case, obviously the Broncos were going to get into that and to try to woo, uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers from the Packers. But it wasn't the case. And so then the flip was switched or the switch was flipped on this deal. And here's what the compensation is. 
Seattle is going to get five draft choices. They're going to get the first round pick this year, ninth overall. Uh, you know, Denver's ninth overall pick in the draft this year. Denver's second round pick this year, the 40th pick overall. First and second round picks next year and also a fifth this year. Three players, including Drew Locke. And then um, Seattle is going to get back a four this year uh, from Denver for the trade. And or, I'm sorry, Denver is going to get back a four this year. Excuse me. So the reaction I got today, a lot of people love this trade for Denver because it was hopeless for him. But there are some people who think, look at how Russell Wilson has played the last couple of years. Why would they have done this? And the answer is very simple, that this team was lost without a quarterback. Since Manning, they bounced from Trevor Simeon, Brock Osweiler, Case Keenum, Joe Flacco, Drew Locke. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater, uh, Locke again. And they knew that with the greatness of quarterbacks in the AFC West, they had no chance unless they got a quarterback. And you know what? The price of doing business is the price of doing business. So that's really the background on why this all happened, Paul. I think, I think also if, um, I mean, the forgiveness, it may or may not be the right term, but I think the understanding uh, and the, the comfort level out there for, for a trade like this, for giving up that much draft collateral, Peter, multiple first round picks, multiple second round picks. After what the Rams did, they got it done. They went, quote, all in and got it done. I yeah. think people are a little more understanding and willing to say, OK, it's a lot to give, uh, but it, it's worked out well in the recent past. So uh, that comes to mind first. Uh, but also with Russell Wilson, Peter, you mentioned he hasn't played that great in the last couple of seasons. Denver this year at one point late in the season, they were seven and six. And those next three or four games, they had a really hard time scoring touchdowns. I think the three that mattered most, they were 14 points or less around there. So, I mean, clearly this is what they were missing. And with one of the best three or four defenses in the league, they don't need MVP Russell Wilson. They need really good Russell Wilson to be 11 and six and get in and have a chance. But I don't think they need him to be one of the best two or three quarterbacks in the league. They just seem to be really good. And I think there's every reason to believe that he can be that. Look, in the last 30 games over the last two seasons, people complaining about this year and all that, and I get it. But in the last two seasons, Russell Wilson, 65 touchdowns, 19 interceptions. To me, I think we're grasping at straws. Yeah. Your quarterback rating over 103 each year. I think we're grasping at straws to say, well, Wilson's declining. Well, you know, he, he also had his usual problem of having to run around. The offensive line was lousy again. They've never fixed it. Uh, I just thought he, I think Russell Wilson believed that he was going to be in Groundhog Day. And look, here's the thing about Denver for Russell Wilson, okay? He's going to have very good receivers, okay? He's going to have a good wide receiving crew. He walks into a better offensive line situation than he's had in a while, including a left tackle, Garrett Bowles, that, that uh, you know, will be better than anybody he's had since Russell Okung, uh, you know, who basically aged out on that offensive line. Uh, he's going to have an excellent young running back, and I think they've got a good defense, even though they lose Vic Fangio. 
look, the Denver Broncos will contend for something next year. Maybe not a Super Bowl, but they will contend. And I, I'll also make one other prediction. I predict that the Denver at Seattle regular season game will be in prime time somewhere and the networks will be fighting for it. <laughs> I think so too. It, it would be nice if that one ended up at NBC. I'll, I'll say one more thing about Russell Wilson, Peter, before we move on to, uh, to Aaron Rodgers. It was clear, as you mentioned, that Russell Wilson, it certainly felt like he didn't want to be there anymore. I don't think they, they being Seattle, really were crazy about him anymore either. I remember right. a conversation I had at the Super Bowl in Minneapolis, Peter, four years ago now with a very high up person there who I trusted a lot. They were open to moving him then. I mean, that was a long time ago. Clearly it didn't happen. He's had a lot of good games and seasons since, but I think for both sides, this is a win. Both sides behind closed doors are saying, yes, this is, look, this is what we wanted. Know, Paul, the other, the other thing here, um, none of us know what's going to happen with the rest of the quarterbacks. None of yep. us know maybe John Schneider, who 10 years ago had a hunch that he loved Russell Wilson after watching him outduel Kirk Cousins in the Big Ten championship game in Indianapolis. Uh, and so maybe he's got a hunch about another guy. Maybe he loves Malik Willis. I don't know, you know, the young kid from Liberty. But this is a huge move. And I think the Seahawks, as you say, Look, Russell Wilson did great things for the Seahawks. There's absolutely no question about it. He was, a, he was an Iron Man. Uh, you know, he started 158 of 161 games, never missed a start until this year when he missed three uh, because of his hand injury. <clears throat> and every single year except this one, Russell Wilson had a winning record. So, look, I, I think it's... I think it is hindsight and a little bit bitterness for anybody who would say who over a 10 year period uh, was plus 205 in the touchdown to interception wow. ratio. I mean, you know, if you'd had enough of Russell Wilson, I get it. Maybe he had enough of you too. And look, he's going to go down as the greatest quarterback in Seahawks history. And there will be some good days for him later in life in Seattle. But I agree with you, Paul. This is the best for everyone. I think it's okay to say, to have an understanding that it was time for both sides. Sometimes a really good relationship just runs its course and it's time to move and each side feels that way. You can feel that and you can also say he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. He was a wonderful quarterback there. He was terrific for them and vice versa. I think you yeah. can see both sides and it's fair. Aaron Rodgers, yep. your first reaction, Peter, when you heard he was staying in Green Bay, and a few hours later, what's your top thought now? So at the Combine last week, Paul, um, trying to remember, it was either Wednesday or Thursday, I was sitting uh, having a conversation with some people at the JW Marriott on the second floor, and uh, I feel this sort of uh, you know, the sort of tap on my shoulder and hands stuck out and it's Matt LaFleur. He said, hey, how you doing? I said, hey, good. And Matt LaFleur was arriving in this area of meeting rooms where I was on the second floor of the JW Marriott. 
uh, I was sitting on a couch talking to a couple of guys and he was arriving right then for a meeting with someone in Aaron Rodgers camp uh, to discuss something, whatever. Meeting lasted, I'm guessing about 35 minutes. And he came out, said, hey, left. And one thought that went through my mind was that if this was over, Aaron Rodgers not, or Matt LaFleur is not spending 35 minutes with uh, one of his representatives. So I don't know what they talked about. We'll find out. But, but I do think that the momentum has been building for him to go home, stay home. I didn't know anything. I had no inside information. Thing I admire about Rogers is he told me this last August. You're not going to see a lot of clues from me. You're not going to see a lot of white smoke coming out of the chimney. And he kept his word. So what does it mean? I think what this means, and I don't know how many years he intends to play football. I don't know that the Packers know how many years he intends to play football, but they apparently are going to commit a lot of money to him. And clearly, if you're going to commit a lot of money to somebody, they probably don't intend to be one and done, probably. And uh, if Devontae Adams signs there for four years, he's not going to be real happy if Aaron Rodgers at the end of this season says, I'm not playing anymore. So my gut feeling is he's probably going to play at least two or three more years. But it's a great thing for the Packers, and it's really a good thing for, for Aaron Rodgers and I think the quarterback history in Green Bay. I do want to say one other thing, that in the last three seasons, Aaron Rodgers has, uh, as a, uh, as a highly, on a highly seeded team each year, okay, he lost in uh, the championship game at San Francisco uh, and, you know, played well, but his team didn't play well. He threw two picks, but he played well. And then the next year, uh, he plays poorly down the stretch against Tampa and they lose the NFC championship game when they have home field. And then obviously, a couple of months ago, he plays poorly for most of the game against San Francisco. And again, as the top seed playing at home, they have a very disappointing end. So, you know, I'll tell you this, Paul. I, I'm not saying that he's not clutch. He's not great in the big games. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is that he really does have some unfinished business. Since he won the Super Bowl, since he beat Pittsburgh 11 years ago in the Super Bowl, he's seven and nine in the playoffs. Wow. And, you know, there's not a lot of people who right now at this moment, if he never played another game, would call him a top five quarterback in history. You know, he's just, he's got to do some more other than put up incredible numbers and be incredibly efficient. So he's got some work to do, but I do think this is the best thing for the team and the player. 
You mentioned that he hasn't played real well in the postseason. And I mean, the, the numbers, the wins and losses certainly back it up. And I think that's part of the package, Peter. When I think about this, the, the main word I think of the headline is uh, there's a draw. There's something drawing Aaron Rodgers back to Green Bay, whether it's that he knows he hasn't played well in the postseason recently. I mean, remember his comments after right. the game, he basically admitted, you know, from my standards, this, this was not a very good game. I think he also has a real strong connection to some of the veterans on that team, yeah. uh, led by Devontae Adams. That draws him back. And whether it's the draw or just the age and the appreciation and the, the admiration and the knowing what he has with Matt LaFleur, I think that brings him back as well. The quarterback play caller relationship, the last game wasn't good, but everything else leading up to it was terrific. And I, I think he knows he has a lot going on there that he won't have in another situation that looks good from the outside. So um, as these weeks went on, Peter, to me, the big mystery with Aaron Rodgers was, okay, will he retire or not? I thought all along, if he's going to come back and play, he's going to end up in Green Bay. And I think it's great for fans too. I mean, it's fun watching Matthew Stafford play somewhere else. It was fun watching Brady play somewhere else. Same with Wilson, but come on, 425 yeah. kicks, Sunday night, Lambeau, yeah. snow coming down, number 12 running out there. You want Rodgers, Rodgers for a couple more years at least. Again. It's awesome yeah. stuff. So I, I, would, I would also, you know, there's two other little, I don't know, tributaries to this story. A, a lot of reaction from people about, hey, Rodgers is taking them as far as he can take them. And my feeling on that is that, look, the Green Bay Packers will be the favorite, will have the best odds of any team in football entering this season to win home field advantage in one of the two conferences. And, you know, they got a fairly, relatively speaking, uh, you know, they're, they're playing a lesser division. And next year they play the NFC East and AFC East. So they, that's not the toughest, uh, you know, the toughest eight opponents uh, out of your division. So that's one thing. And then the second thing, a lot of people really have a, a problem with how much money this is going to be against the cap. And I just, I wanted to take a minute and explain something that Jason Fitzgerald, who runs overthecap.com was telling me today that probably, okay, the salary cap this coming year is 208.2 million. He estimates next year, it'll be about 230. And then the two years after that, 260 and then 280. So let's just take a middle year in this contract. Let's just assume as has been reported in some areas that it's a four-year deal and it'll end up maybe averaging about 50 million. But whatever, Rogers denied that, but we'll see, we'll see. The point is teams have figured out that for instance, you put on a year or two extra at the end of the contract that nobody, Rogers absolutely won't play. Everybody knows that entering in. Okay, and that means you can prorate uh, your bonus over the length of that contract. And also you can put some money at the end of the contract and know that if Rogers, let's say, plays four years, and I don't know if that's gonna happen, but if he does, then you can spread some of the rest of the money 
you know, over the next year plus. And so I think if you look at this, he won't have a salary cap number of 50 million until at least uh, the cap is around 260. And let's say that's an accurate figure. Then look at it, honestly, okay? Can you not feel the competitive team spending $210 million in two or three years? If you can't, you probably should get out of this line of business. And that's why I think a lot of the salary cap hubbub is probably not really true. I'm glad you brought that up, Peter, because people see the number 50 million, whether that's true or not, let's say it's off by 10%, it's still a giant number. And people are wondering, okay, how do they, how is that possibly going to work? And I think those kind of explanations um, certainly help me. They're going to help a lot of fans out there too. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What if millions of black Americans had been compensated for slavery? Join me, Tremaine Lee, as I explore the untold story of one of the only black Americans who ever was. I talk to his descendants and discuss how reparations forever change their family's trajectory and imagine a reality where reparations are paid to the rest of black America. Into America presents Uncounted Millions, The Power of Reparations, a Black History Month series. New episodes drop Thursdays. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. So... Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers come up middle afternoon and kind of change the scope of our conversation. I still would like to get to the combine a bit. Such yeah. a massive part of the calendar, Peter. Uh, I enjoyed your article, uh, part that made me smile. And I, I remember how these days go. You mentioned last Thursday, I think it was, it was double digit numbers when you met with head coaches, GMs, players. And those are just the meetings that you mentioned. There were probably some uh, that you didn't mention as well. So of all the people that you got together with and spent time with in Indianapolis last week, what would you call your favorite interaction? What was really, really interesting, I thought, was spending a half hour with Ryan Poles, the new general manager of the Bears. One of the things I really enjoy about the Combine is meeting people you don't know. I've never spoken to Ryan Poles in my life. Um, so I didn't know him. Uh, I didn't uh, have, I heard good things about him. And what really, really impressed me is what a potentially innovative person he could be in this job. You know what he told me? He told me that last year he went and he just, he made this happen himself. He went and spent some time with uh, and I'm going to probably, I'm going to have the title wrong. So I'll say a real advanced analytics guys, guy who works for the New York Yankees, spent a couple of days with them, kind of doubt, 
downloaded all his knowledge. And he said, I got some really good ideas about what works with modern players in all sports. And I thought it was really interesting and really telling that that would be something to him that would be really, really important. So I, I, <clears throat> I was really impressed with him. And look, at the end of the three plus days, you know, I, I met or had chance meetings, you know, with 38 people. And those are the kind of things that I just will think back and say, oh yeah, remember when, you know, you were talking to Kevin O'Connell and he said this. So right. those are the kind of things that make the combine invaluable to me. Absolutely. 38, 38 of those. I mean, that, that makes the trip worth it by itself. So that's an interaction you like the most. How about uh, what would count as a most interesting thing that you learned in Indy? Um, well, this is a little bit of an inside baseball thing, Paul, but probably the most interesting thing I learned because nobody thought that it was true. And I wrote this on Monday is I expect the combine to be back in Indianapolis next year. Good. And everybody was assuming everybody that there's no way it goes back there. It's going to go to Dallas or LA next year, far more lucrative. But I think the <clears throat> groundswell of support for Indianapolis as a place is just so strong. And I'll give you a great for instance, okay? So on Friday, I was gonna have lunch with Mickey Loomis at his hotel, the Conrad Hotel. There's a, uh, uh, there's a Capitol Grill in the lobby of that hotel. So he said to me, so I might be a couple of minutes late. And he came and he was kind of winded. He was maybe five minutes late. And he was coming from sort of the opposite end of downtown from a meeting there. But, but think about this. He went from one end to another, basically. And he got there in about 12 minutes yeah. walking. And so that's the whole thing that made me think, honestly, that, uh, that anybody who says, geez, why do they love Indianapolis so much? The proximity, never having to get in a car, and the fact that if you go to Dallas, you know, and you have to go out to, you know, <clears throat> the stadium in Arlington, and you get stuck in a little bit of traffic, instead of it taking 28 minutes, could take 45. Yeah. So it's just... It's kind of a very, very weird, weird scenario. But probably the weirdest thing I learned was most interesting. I learned the thing I learned is that I think the NFL is going to give Indianapolis at least one more year. I, that, that's uh, music to my ears, Peter. It's not just the, the convenience, but everybody in Indianapolis kind of rolls out the, the uh, welcome mat for all of us that end up there. It's hard yeah. to imagine it going better uh, somewhere, I mean, anywhere else besides Indianapolis. Aiden Hutchinson, you mentioned he's going to be a guest uh, on your podcast here coming up after the two of us talk. I enjoyed reading about him in your article. My mind went to this, though, right away, Peter. Uh, and let's just think about this in the abstract for a moment. When you're talking about someone who went to a big-time school, who's used to dealing with the media, who knows he's going to be a top five, top three pick, he's very well coached. He's yeah. very media savvy. It's almost more like interacting with a political candidate than a 22-year-old genuine 
enthusiastic, you know, someone between college and a professional life. How did you find the interaction with Aiden? I mean, he's like a 10 year pro, but I don't think, I don't think in the last month or so he's undergone this tremendous media training. I heard him on Rich Eisen uh, in, er in early December after they beat Ohio State. And he, he was probably better with Rich than he was with me. And, but <laughs> Michigan guys, no. he, he was so well-versed in everything, but here's the one thing about him. Okay. Let's forget how glib and how cool. And the fact that since he was four years old, he's written in a journal almost every day, still does uh, very grounded guy, great mom and dad, never forced football on him, blah, 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 blah. But here's as a football player, what really impresses me. I saw a play against Ohio State where he steamrolled the left tackle and drove him right back into the quarterback. It was an amazing display. The left tackle of Ohio State doesn't just, you know, it doesn't just walk on in Columbus. Right. That is a highly recruited, really, really good player. And Hutchinson, you know, basically embarrassed him. But what I noticed about it was his instinct on the play. His instinct was unbelievable because you could tell, like, there was a little bit, just a little bit of a twitch that I think for a while he was intending, you know, to, to, to run inside on him. But he said, I'm not going to do it. I got him going backwards. I'm going to just push him back. I think this is going to be the first pick in the draft. Now, look, as we recorded, it's March 8. A lot can happen, so we'll see. Uh, D-line seem to be getting a lot of buzz right now. People like the defensive line in this class. Uh, this is normally a time where we talk about quarterbacks, but I don't think that the needle move much for that group that's seen as kind of an average group. So let's push the quarterbacks aside for a moment, Peter. Uh, another position group coming out of Indy that you think is really kind of creating a lot of buzz and catching fire. Look, uh, it the defensive linemen in this in this class are going to be the stars. Um, you know, I think there's going to be six or seven picked in the top twenty. Um, as you know, Paul, I'm not a big fan of forties. It's absolutely unbelievable that a guy like Jordan Taylor of Georgia can uh, run faster. 111 pounds heavier than Patrick Mahomes or 116 pounds heavier that he runs faster than Mahomes. However, uh, you know, I also think it's interesting that if you ask some scouts, he's the third best interior defensive player at Georgia. Now that says great things about Georgia, but also, <laughs> you know, let's stop with, I mean, I saw a bunch of people say, well, that puts him in the top 10. How often does a defensive tackle ever run 40 yards in a football game? I mean, full speed. I mean, twice a year. I, I don't know, but I was impressed with the defensive line crop. I thought it was really, really an interesting group. And I liked Peter in your article, how you, you tied together. And I, I never thought I'd see this, but uh, hotel room, Josh McDaniels, Madonna, it, <laughs> it, it all goes together well, in PG form. I met, Josh McDaniels in his room. Sometimes you go up to people's rooms and this wasn't a room. This is a ridiculous suite at the Conrad hotel. And on the wall is it's commemorated. Here's where Madonna stayed when she did halftime of the Super Bowl, giants Patriots in 2012, you know? So 
that was kind of an interesting thing. But Josh McDaniels, incredibly appreciative of his second chance, especially after what happened four years ago in Indianapolis. I'll be writing a good chunk next week in my column about McDaniels and why he took this job and why he thinks that uh, he'll be a good fit with Mark Davis. And I also wondered this about Josh McDaniels too, when I read about the two of you spending time together, Peter, uh, over 10 years ago, right after he got the job in Denver, I had an interaction with him that was set up by NFL Network. And I, I thought he went out of his way to make the entire thing difficult and unpleasant from beginning to end. Uh, and I, I'm sure he's matured. I mean, we all have, we all do. I'm wondering what he was like this weekend compared to what you knew of him 10 years ago. I mean, he understands that he screwed up that chance. He really does. And I think he went out of his way to be welcoming and to try to be uh, not Bill Belichick the second with the media, which, and I understand that that is only part of it. But what happens is I think he was very, very cognizant of wanting to portray a different person than the one he had the last time. It's good to hear. I, I certainly hope I'm uh, better at what I do than I was in 2009 <laughs> as yeah. well. Finally, uh, Calvin Ridley and the, the entire gambling issue that has come up this week, the last couple of days, suspended for the year. Your thoughts? Calvin Ridley, I think, is not going to be an outlier. There's about 2,700 players in the NFL every year under contract to NFL teams. It would be naive to think that as sports gambling becomes legal all over the United States, that all 2,700 of those players all eschew getting apps on their phones so that they can gamble on their phone. So I understand that everybody, oh my God, what, you know, this guy, they should be smarter than that. These are young guys with a lot of money. And uh, I just, I think that this will not be the last one of these stories that, that we hear, Paul. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again! Goal for the United States! Unbelievable! And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this! How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. Yeah. Um, with that, I am going to get into Aiden Hutchinson right now. Had an opportunity to talk to him Saturday night uh, after I left the combine. He still was there. And here's my conversation with the Michigan edge rusher. 
back on the podcast. So happy to be joined by Aiden Hutchinson, uh, the uh, tremendous uh, pass rusher slash edge rusher, um, kind of a do-it-all guy from the University of Michigan. He's just finished his work at the NFL Scouting Combine. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about that. But Aiden, first of all, really appreciate you joining me. And I'm, I, I want to start I'm so interested in your father's influence on your life in two ways. For people who don't know, your father, Chris Hutchinson, is a nice, mild-mannered physician right now, but he used to be uh, kind of a holy terror for the Wolverines back in the early 90s. And, you know, he, he really had a seemingly had a huge influence on your life, even though, as I understand it, he always said that you don't have to play football if you don't want to. You need to do what you want to do. We don't want to order you or influence you unduly into doing everything. And I just want to know, he was, a, he was the MVP of the Michigan team in the 1992 season. So obviously football was a huge thing to him. And I just want to know, what was his influence on you growing up? Yeah, you know, you said it. I mean, he, he had a very hands-off approach. And, um, you know, he, he really uh, just, just wanted me to do my thing and wanted me to find my path. And I think um, that's very different, too, because you, you, you got a lot of these ex-football players, you know. Um, they, uh, they have kids, and, and they, they kind of put them into it and kind of at a young age, so, so, uh, so they want it. But I think with me, um, from a young age, I mean, he, he just, uh, he let me do my thing. And I, I, I fell in love with football, you know, myself. And, uh, you know, I think that was critical for me and, and my passion for football. You know, it's my passion isn't, isn't from him and, and him putting me in it. My passion is, is, uh, you know, completely made by myself. And, um, you know, I think that's why I love the game so much today. So yeah, I, I am very grateful for him, you know, raising me that way. And yeah. Do you remember when you were a kid, him talking to you about football? Did you sense when you played it and you were good at it, he was excited? Or is he the kind of dad who would have been happy if you were the lead in the school play? Yeah, I think he'd be happy, it, it, you know, whatever I'm doing, as long as, you know, I'm giving all my effort and, you know, I, I got all my focus in it. I mean, I think he'd be happy, uh, you know, whatever I'd be doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the one of the last thing about your dad, I thought it was really interesting. So he played at Michigan. He was really good and he didn't get drafted, but he signed as an undrafted free agent with the Cleveland Browns, 1993. The head coach of that team was Bill Belichick. The mm -hmm. defensive coordinator of that team was Nick Saban. Yep. Does he have many interesting stories about that training camp where, you know, he, he didn't make the team, obviously, but what 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 has he told you about, you know, playing for Bill Belichick for a summer? Yeah, um, he uh, I don't know if he I thought he made the team. That's what he told me. Oh, really? OK, just to fact check you a little bit. But, All right, um, I will. We're going to have to ask him about it. But um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, he hasn't told me any stories I, I would. I don't even think he remembers his time in Cleveland that much, to be honest, yeah. because it was, it was very short. Um, but, uh, 
you know, I, I don't know. I don't have any stories for you, unfortunately. Well, okay. So let's fast forward now. And I just want to ask you sort of one thing about your background that I found really interesting that you basically are kind of a thoughtful person and you write in journals most days of your life. Is that true? Many yeah. days of your life. Yeah. And how, how did that start? And what do you write? I think that, I think that started from my mom. You know, my mom's very big into spirituality and she kind of, uh, she, she kind of, uh, you know, kind of taught me the ways and uh, really just growing up and especially being uh, kind of in the position that I'm in, a lot of expectation, a lot of pressure, there, there's ways to alleviate that. And, um, you know, that's, she taught me and that's one of those ways for me. So um, it is very beneficial for my mind and my, you know, I mean, this game is, you know, just as much mental as it is physical. So um, I'm focused on, you know, maintaining that mental and keeping, uh, you know, keeping, keeping my head uh, on straight. Give me a little bit of an example about like what you write when you write in the journals. Do you write about football? Do you write about what you're feeling that particular day, a combination thereof? What do you do? Yeah, I think it all depends on the day. Um, sometimes I, I got these uh, kind of mantras that I say um, to, I kind of just, I repeatedly, Sam, I repeatedly, you know, write them down or, or some days it's, you know, I got a lot of things in my mind and I kind of just need to reflect on the day and reflect, uh, you know, just, just put the pen to the paper and, and just write. And, and that kind of, you know, calms my mind a little bit, but um, yeah, I would say usually it's, it's, it's mostly mantras and it's mostly uh, kind of just, uh, telling myself uh, these phrases. Can you tell me any of them? Yeah, um, you know, I, I, I'd say a couple of them are just, you know, telling myself that I'm limitless. You know, I have an infinite mindset. Um, you know, the power is within me. Kind of those things, just because I, I hate when people put uh, caps on myself and my ability. And it's something that people have done my whole career, but I've never listened to them. And um, those are those are kind of the ways that you know, I, I get my own mental and um, I talk to myself about, you know, I have no boundaries. There's no, there's no mountain that I can't reach. You know, I just, uh, that's how I view myself and, and, you know, me playing football. You, is there a moment where you thought it was really possible that I can play in the NFL and I can play well in the NFL? Um, I would say about sometime my sophomore year. I mean, obviously at that Michigan. was always at Michigan. Yeah. You know, that, that was always the, uh, that was always the goal. And, um, you know, coming out of college, obviously that's, that's every college player, but, you know, freshman year I played in every game, but, you know, I still had a lot to work on in the sophomore year. I got the starting job and, um, you know, that's when I really started honing down on, on my sacrifices and, you know, what I do outside of football, just in terms of taking care of my body, because I, I really saw that opportunity uh, in the NFL. And I knew if I kept working and I just, you know, continued to block out the noise that, you know, I would reach that place. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I saw that when you were, I think, after your third year, you have to tell me exactly when this was, that you actually sent a direct message to Mel Kuyper on Instagram. Yep. 
You remember doing that? And oh yeah. And okay, and tell tell me tell me what you said. Um, so I was sitting there, I think it was uh May of 2020, I think. Um, I was sitting there, you know, kind of in my thoughts, and um uh, I, I I just I don't know why I did, but um I just DM Mel Kuiper on Instagram and I told him that I'm gonna be the number one um edge prospect in your in your draft. And um, you know, I wasn't I wasn't like uh getting ready for a response or anything. That was something that I wanted to put out in the universe and I wanted to uh, kind of get it out, get off my chest because it's something that I believed so much in my head. But, you know, I think that was after my junior year, like people saw me as a late first, second, third kind of guy. But um, and I was pissed. I, I, I was motivated like and, uh, you know, I wanted to be number one on that list. So uh, I think, you know, I mean, I don't really look at mock drafts, but um, you know, it's, it's in your face. And, um, you know, I think I, I reached that now. So, you know, not now I got to send a couple more direct messages to some other people. <laughs> <laughs> do you, do you really, I mean, look, I've covered the NFL for a long time. I remember I was covering the New York giants in the eighties and there's, they had a running back, a five foot eight running back named Joe Morris, who like he wanted people to say that he was no good. Like he, he loved when people would, when he would find somewhere, anywhere, somebody saying, oh, Morris is no good. He's too small. He's too short, whatever. And are you that kind of guy? Do you sort of look for those little mini slights around the internet and around your world? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feed off that stuff and, and especially, Especially, um, I would say, coming into this season, um, you know, like people really saw Michigan football as, you know, we were going to have a six-win year. And, I mean, as a team, you know, I mean, I eat that stuff up already. And finally, finally, we're being slept on for the first year that I'm at Michigan. So, um, I love proving people wrong. I love, you know, um, it, I mean, there was a there was a guy um, in the Big Ten that uh, his name, Josh Perry, I guess, yeah. I forgot his name. He was a linebacker for Ohio State. He ranked me as the uh, the 19th best best Big Ten player come going into the 2021 season. And I saw that and I was pissed. And that was I saw it in fall camp. And I was like, Are you are you kidding me? And um, I mean, I saw him after the Big Ten championship. I said in an interview, I said, Well, you know, I'm just your 19th best player. That's 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 all I am to you. So screw you. <laughs> It's, you know, I mean, motivation is interesting. You, you, you get it wherever you can. But I think one of the interesting things about you as a player is that you have shown the ability to rush inside, rush speed, rush outside. You know, the video that I saw about 48 times at the Combine is when you walk the left tackle of Ohio State right back into the quarterback I mean, you look like some combination of, you know, Aaron Donald and Lawrence Taylor, you know, where you, yeah. where you just walk that guy back. But what do you, what do you think about your game really makes you kind of special in this particular class, which is just full of edge rushers? Yeah. I mean, this class is, is freaking loaded with edge rushers, with talent, but, um, 
I think the thing that, that separates me, obviously, yes, um, I, I can rush with speed and power. I can, I can do all that. But I think what separates me are my instincts. And, um, you know, when I'm out there, I, I call it my spidey sense. Um, you know, I, I'll feel a play is coming and I, you know, most of the time I'll trust it and I'll make a play because of it. So I think I just need to continue to, to keep trusting it because I think my instincts really do separate me and, and they're what's going to separate me at that next level as well. You know, on that particular play against Ohio State, it looked like for an absolute tiny millisecond that you might go inside on the guy. But then, some, I don't know, maybe something happened. Maybe you don't even know why you did it. Or maybe it was the plan all along that then you just sort of, you know, ran over him like a bulldozer. Right. Do you remember what went through your mind on that play? You know, I, I joke about this with my coach all the time. I, I call this, um, it's the pass rushing instincts. Um, you know, sometimes you go out there and you do some things that you had not practiced ever. You have never done in practice. You have never done it, but you go out there and um, your body just kind of takes over and you do it. And yes, in every rush, I have a game plan, but, you know, sometimes you got to work a counter move. And that's where I believe, you know, I have that pass rushing instinct. You know, there, there's, there's only a few guys that have it, I think, especially, you know, at that next level where, where um, you know, your body kind of just takes over and, uh, and, and you, you just win a lot of reps because um, you have that instinct. So that's, that's what I, I always jokingly, you know, say that to my, to my, uh, to my coach, you know, just you know, that, that I got that pass rusher instinct. Aiden, two other things I'm curious about. One is, so you've just finished at the scouting combine everybody can always find things that they might think that they could do better and all that. But, you know, you run a four, seven, five, which is great for your position. Uh, you know, your three cone drill was ridiculous. I mean, I'm not big into combine drills or anything like that, but I wonder how do you think you did and what do you think you showed whoever's watching you who might want to pick you high in the first round with this performance? Um, first off, I think it was a four seven four officially. So you know, just just knock off one more, <laughs> knock off one more over that. No, but um, yeah, I, I think I, I went out there and you know, all I wanted to do going into this was you know have fun and um, really just just try to PR. And um, you know, I was just I was just giving it everything I got. And you know, I'm a big guy. I'm on controlling the controllables. That's how I get a lot of peace of mind. And, you know, when, when I go out there and I give it my all, you know, I cannot, I, I have no regrets and I, I, I can't look back if I, if I give it my all. So um, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm happy with my performance. I thought I put on a, a good little show and I was having a lot of fun in drills. Um, you know, football is, is really what I do. And, um, you know, finally doing those drills, we could play a little, play a little bit, play a little bit of ball. So, um, you know, I, I think uh, I really proved myself uh, to be, uh, you know, the uh, a, a really good prospect. And, you know, I, I can't talk for the other guys. I can't, I don't know if I could say, you know, I'm the best prospect because I haven't watched anybody else, but whoever drafts me, they're going to get it. They're going to get a damn good player and they're going to get a guy who's all in. Do you, how, how many teams did you meet with in, um, in Indianapolis? <laughs> didn't meet with a whole bunch. I just met with uh, a few of the top teams. Yeah. Anything stand out in those meetings, anything memorable, 
Jacksonville, Detroit, those teams? Um, I couldn't – no, I didn't get any weird questions. I didn't get, uh, you know, that typical combine question. Um, all mine were very smooth, and they went yeah. they went great. Um, you know, I love talking ball, and, you know, it really – it's second nature to me. So, um, all my interviews went great, and I'm, I'm really happy with everything. But, you know, now it's uh, after my pro day. It's in the team's hands. So, we're, we were happy about that. How important is it for you or to you to be drafted number one overall? It's, it's really not that important. I just hope that wherever I go, you know, I, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great scheme fit and, um, you know, it's a great culture where, where I'm able to thrive and, and really, uh, you know, start making an impact from day one. And will you, what do you do between now and the draft exactly? Are you, do you go back out to California, continue to work out? Or what, what exactly is your routine going to be now? So I've got a flight uh, back to Michigan um, tomorrow. And, uh, you know, I'm going to see my family. I'm going to take a, a little one-day break. And then I got the bench at the pro day. And then after I bench at the pro day, I'm just, uh, I'm working out and probably meeting with some teams uh, up until the draft. And, you know, just getting my body right and, you know, getting back in football shape. You look like you really want to be great in the NFL. Oh, yeah. That's the plan. I mean, I want to be. Uh, I, I want to be a hall of famer. I want to be, you know, first team all pro. I mean, I want all that, and you know, that's going in the journal too. So. Aiden Hutchinson. Thanks so much for joining me. Appreciate it. And best of luck in the next couple of months. It's going to be fun. Thanks for having me, man. My thanks to Aiden Hutchinson and to my friend, Paul Burmeister, uh, an action packed podcast this week. Really appreciate everybody listening. Uh, Hope you can take a deep breath. And next week, we'll be back. We might even talk a little bit about free agency next week. We were going to do a little bit of that this week, but, you know, events happen to stand in the way. So that's it for this week. And thanks a lot for listening to the Peter King Podcast. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.